0: Good morning everybody. Happy New Year. Um we're gonna be doing a, a series that I'm, I'm it's gonna be around the Sabbath, and I found this graphic which I thought was great until Leah ruined it for me. So <laughs> so it's it's if you can tell it's it's the six musical notes, and then the seventh one is kind of raised, like for the the Sabbath and everything. And Leah said why isn't a rest note? <laughs> and as soon as she said that, that oh no! But I didn't change it, so <laughs> I still like the graphic. Um, we're going to be talking about the Sabbath um, for the next few weeks, and and this is the the sermon series that that I, I want to preach, and it's the sermon series that I I need. It's the sermon series that I think many of us need. Um, I think it's what Holly Springs needs. I think it's what America needs, Um, especially in the season going back to work, maybe from a a long break over the winter, maybe picking up the the job that we laid down, maybe struggling with a a new season and things. I I think this is a very appropriate time for us to, to look at this. And to really dig into it, um, maybe you didn't get a break. Maybe you're back in school. Whatever it is with the holidays, we often struggle to get back into this. In my job, we call it re-entry. And I don't know if you've seen this. Here, here's a, a spaceship going into re-entry. Here, this is from the Apollo. Um, it's just a graphic. It's not the real ones, <laughs> but man, <the> reentry is hard. <laughs> reentry's is hard in, when you're talking about space. Reentry's hard when you're talking about work. You know that that idea. This is the the most dangerous time. This is where things burn up in the atmosphere. And I think when we go back into a job, when we get that fresh look at it, sometimes we forget. Oh, this is this is that stack of emails I, I never got to. You know, the, the, here here's that work that I, I never got to, and. Do I have the energy for do I Do I want to go back into this again? And there's a lot of reasons why re is hard. You know, the, the most obvious might be you don't like your job, <laughs> right? Or you're not well suited for your job, or we have an unhealthy work ethic. You know, there's a whole lot of reasons. I could probably go on and on, but I'm not going to be playing career counselor here. That, that's not it. I'm not going to be an armchair psychologist or, or counselor, um, but I believe that we struggle with work because we don't have a biblical view of the Sabbath. And I think that we, by not having a biblical view and understanding and practice of the Sabbath, we actually cause our work to be completely out of balance. And we cause our lives to be out of balance, and then our families are out of balance. And, and everything kind of stems from that. This is the rhythm of our lives. This is the way that we order our weeks and our times and our calendars and our schedules. And when that gets out of whack, when we don't know where it's coming from, or where it's going, when we don't have a proper balance... I think we start to feel it in our bones. We start to know something's wrong, and we start looking and blaming and feeling anxious and depressed and worried, and we can do really crazy things and like just send an email to your boss at 3 a.m. and say, I'm done with this thing, or or who knows? Um, But I think, particularly for those of us, um, we need to take a biblical look at Sabbath and apply it to our lives. Like I said, this is for students. This is for retirees. This is going to be for people who are unemployed. This is for people who are gainfully employed with more than one job. This is going to be for all of us because whatever pause we're coming from, let's realize that now is a good season to get grounded, understand the rhythm that the Lord has put before us. The Sabbath has always been multifaceted. It's, It's care for God's people. You know, God really cares about us. He cares about our lives. He doesn't just care about your soul. I don't know if you've ever felt that, like, well, well, God cares about my eternity. You know, he cares about where I'm going to go after I die, but does he care about my calendar? You know, does he care about my day? Does he care about my work? Well, he, he does. He cares about your souls, and the way that we, we run our lives often is going counter to what God would have for us. The thing also about the Sabbath, it's evangelical. This one surprises a lot of people, and this one surprises me. I, I forget this, but the Sabbath is evangelical. When God's people were given the Sabbath, And they were told not to work. It was uh, this strange witness to the people all around them who watched the Israelites stop working, stop working in the fields, and still had food to eat. They were still provided for. So the people around them watching the Israelites not working and still be taken care of made them think, what is going on here? I have to work all the time. I have to provide for my family all the time. And it was this witness that our hope doesn't come from ourselves. The Israelites were saying, the best chance I have at living this life isn't by my own two hands. It's not by how clever I can be. It's not by how fortunate I might be. It comes from God. And God has established a rhythm for my life. And if I follow him, I'll be taken care of. That is just as true now as ever before. It may be more true now as we've done this. We've added so much automation. We've added so much capability. And we work just as long, if not more. I work in IT, and I work in automation. I know this, you know, and the more of my job that I automate, it seems the more stuff I still have to do. It's this never-ending pool, and so you still work 40, 50, 60-hour weeks, and you still feel like there's so much that I have to do, and we forget about what life is really meant to be about. Our jobs are not the sole focus of our lives. Yet, our lives and with work as a proper aspect of it are actually a rich and full and wonderful expression of what God has called us to. So it's evangelical. Uh, Quite frankly, it's the witness and salve for so much of what this world needs right now. This world is seemingly increasing in pride and greed and anxiety, and I don't know if it's just me seeing that or if it's what the news reports are saying, but it seems that the generation coming up now is more full of anxiety, more full of worry, depression than than those who came before, and those who came before went through the depression, through some great wars, and what do they need? Do they need just to be given a mental health day, a, a vacation, a holiday, a break from these things? No. They need to be taught and led in a biblical worldview of what the Sabbath does, how it frames work, how it frames our lives. It's the salve for what we need. And this is true for everybody I think I know at, at my work. You know, we have this, this pride. We, we wear these badges of honor for how many hours we work. I say work 40 hours a week, and you scoff at me. Oh, I have to work 50 hours a week. You know, I I can't get my job done in less than 65. Like, oh, your job's way, way easier than, than this. I have to work 80 hours. A week. And it's this badge of honor we, we do. Like, I, I'm so important. I, I I get my worth from this. And look how complicated this thing is that I do. And if your job's not so complicated, then clearly it, it doesn't matter as much. And so we sometimes, you know, go to, to work and we'll Search Google or Wikipedia or Reddit or Facebook, and then we'll claim that it's work time just so that we look and appear more busy when life is happening all around us, when we have family, when we have friends, when we have rich life that we could be enjoying. But we have this view on work that we have to put in these hours, that we have to be present, that we have to produce in order that we can consume and enjoy this life. So there's a, a lot to tackle with Sabbath um, and I think, unfortunately, most of us, when you hear Sabbath, you think, ah, that's simple. I, I know it is you work six days, you don't work on one. <laughs> like, that's going to be it. We have this understanding that we already know everything there is to know about the Sabbath. Um, but I was blessed to sit under a pastor for a number of years who saw the entire scripture, the entire gospel, the entire story of God and people through the length of the Sabbath. This means not just creation, not just the exodus, not just the law but the gospel and recreation and, all, and what Jesus taught. And, and all of this was through the rhythm of the Sabbath that he came to call us to enter into his rest. And when we can see all of this, this whole story, not through this legalistic calendar, time-driven view of the Sabbath, but we could actually see it through the expression of God's love for his people. That this is what the whole story was about, was him bringing us into his work that we could also be with him in his rest. It frames not just our days and our lives. It frames the gospel in such a way that's hopefully encouraging and a blessing and that you see exactly where you can go today, where you fit into this right now. This won't be uh, much of a, a to us if we take this as an academic or educational enterprise. Um, what I mean by that is you shouldn't say, oh, that's, that's interesting, and I'll, I'll try to remember that this week. The, the Sabbath has to be practiced. It has to be practiced. And, and this is, again, as much for me as for anybody else. We, we have to practice the Sabbath. This can't just be words. Because if we hear these things and then we go out and we continue our lives as they were beforehand, who, who in this room, quick survey, feels like they take an adequate Sabbath? I expected at least a few. Okay. <laughs> so nobody feels like we're taking an adequate Sabbath. And if we just hear this and agree with this but do nothing— Why am I wasting your time? And I I mean this very seriously. I I, I have a job. I have a family. I don't want to be up here just spilling words out of us that that don't change our lives. And I'm also one. I I don't take a good Sabbath. And I know I need to. And I'm reminded of it often. And I I really do believe, I do believe that this can be life-giving for so many of us. So uh, the big idea today is that the Sabbath only makes sense as it relates to work. You might not think, oh no, what a terrible place to start. <laughs> but it does. The Sabbath only makes sense as it relates to work. It's not a Sabbath six days a week and then you work one. And it's not, you should just take a vacation and, and take care of your, your soul and, y- and your mind. No, the, the, the Sabbath makes sense because it relates to work. You do work, then you have this rest. It's the fundamental idea of the Sabbath, and if we don't understand that the Sabbath relates to work, we're never going to be able to enter the Sabbath as the Lord intends. We're going to have a, a weird facsimile of it. We're going to be shifting gears or slowing down, or we're going to be trying to take this complete break and shut off and, and just not understand why this doesn't seem to be satisfying my soul in the way that, that prescribed to me. Uh, the Sabbath simply and clearly means to stop. Or to cease. It's one of those great theological words. You look it up and you want to do this word study like Sabbath. You know, this, this great deep word. Stop. <laughs> Just stop. And we've made it so much more. It becomes a day of the week. It becomes a practice. But the word in Hebrew means to stop. To cease. It's not a slowing down. It's not this downshifting. I think when we go about our weekends, when we go about our vacation, we, you know, we check our email less. You know where we we find our to-do list that we need to do around the house, and we we change our focus from this thing to that thing. You know, and we, we end up finding that that all of these things, all that I'm doing is I'm reorganizing my busyness, and we think that that's that's a good approach for my weekend. That's a good approach for my vacation. Um, we were really blessed. Uh, for a number of years to, to go to like the beach and spend some time there. And, and the problem when you go to the beach with family or friends is often, you know, you're still doing the laundry because you know, there's a whole lot of swimming at the pool and you, you, know, you, you still have to make meals. So there's all this cooking. One point in time, my, my wife and I, we, we saved up. We got to go on this cruise. One of the wonderful things about a cruise is, you know what you can't do? Laundry. <laughs> and there's food spread out for you everywhere. And, and Leah said to me, this was like a vacation. This was like a, a break. And when you think about the practices that we mock the Israelites for, you know, the, the, the fact that they wouldn't cook. They had to cook the night before. The fact that they won't press elevator buttons. And we think, oh, they're so legalistic. Look at the way that, that they've, they've taken this idea to this unhealthy extreme. They, they've made this so much more than the life breeding thing it's meant to be. I think they've got something that we forget. We downshift, and we reorganize our busyness, and we we think that we're caring for our souls in that, but we're really still the masters of our time. We're still dictating what we do today, and it's a hard practice for us because to stop and to be still is the antithesis to being what we often consider the good, productive American. We feel like we're losing time. We feel like we're, we're being wasteful. We feel like I, I've completely abandoned my responsibilities. I should be doing something right now. And it's so hard for us to sit still. And when we do our encounter services like we did last week, and we have these, these periods of, of stillness and slowness and quiet, it's like a minute is painful. <laughs> and it's like, well, what are we going to do next? You know, who's got the next word? Where, where are we going from, from here? And we, we want to fill this space. But the simple scripture that says, be still and know that I'm God. I think that's a Sabbath scripture. Be still and know that I'm God. It's not be still and, and think about all the things you have to do as soon as you get it from this spot. It's not be still just for a moment. Okay, you really got to get back to this. It's really stop. Cease. And know that he's God. Reentry after vacation or holiday is hard, like I said. And I think the fear that we have, the fear that I have, is that when we actually stop, we might not start up again. I think that the fear that I have is sometimes whenever I stop, I'm not going to want to put that burden back on. I think the fear that I have that I often don't articulate is is just that, that I'm doing this thing now kind of out of habit or duty or responsibility, and if I stop for too long, I'm going to like the feeling of stopping for too long, and I'm going to have to go back to work, and I'm really going to loathe it. I'm really not going to want to spend my time on this thing. And so we find that we perpetuate from habit rather than purpose. Um, This isn't career advice. You might read that as career advice. Uh, I'm not going to tell you more than that. But I want you to understand the biblical view on work and Sabbath, all right? The biblical view on work and Sabbath is that we stop from our work, that we rest, that we find God there, and then we go back into it, that we stop. We don't just try to, to work this thing out. We don't, we don't just do a, a 50% job and we just try to make Monday. It'll, it'll be worse for me. I say this after many vacations. I got to work a little bit now because it'll be so much harder if I just go back into it without doing something now. And I, I say that to myself, and I, I kind of halfway believe it, but I also know I'm really not as important as I want to believe I am. You know? I'm not. And, and it, it's almost surprised me. I, I got back to work uh, this week. I didn't have as much email as I thought I was going to have. And it was kind of nice, but I also thought, oh, no. Oh, no. What, what has happened? I hope my boss doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> but this idea of inertia is powerful for us. Objects at rest Stay at rest, you know, objects in motion, stay in motion. And so we build our lives with this idea that we're this mindless object and that we have to keep this trajectory or we're lost. We have to keep this course or it's all abandoned. We, we have to do this or it's all going to be for nothing. And I really want to say that is not biblically sound. That's not what the Lord has led us to. It's not what he modeled for us. It's not what he's called us to. But we've adopted that mentality, we've adopted that approach to our lives because it fits, because it feels natural, because it feels right. And that's why I think nobody in here is saying, yeah, I'm doing this thing well. Because what we're saying is, I just got to keep going. I have stuff I have to do. And we do. We have stuff we have to do. And that, I think, is the beauty of of starting this understanding of the Sabbath, saying the Sabbath elevates work. The Sabbath frames work. The Sabbath makes work what it properly should be, and now what the world has made it to be, so that it can be like the world looking in at God's ways and saying, how does that work? How can you stop working and you're taken care of? How can you be productive when you're not putting in the, the time that I am? How is it that, that, that I just keep going and going and going, and I seem to get less and less and less out of my time, and there's, there's you know, Josh, there's, there's Leah, there's whomever stopping, praying taking this time with their families, and somehow they're more productive. Somehow this work is blessed. So Sabbath, though, I want to say is not just about stopping something completely because it has to be filled with something. Sabbath isn't the lack of work, but it's entering into rest. There's actually a big shift, I think, in our understanding of that. God didn't separate the seventh day into a vacuum or a void and put it into a shelf and say, okay, this thing is over here, never touch it. And that's where the legalism has crept into this thing. It's this idea that, that this thing is, is untouchable and unmovable and it's just this vacuum of things. But instead, and we'll see this in scripture in just a minute, he actually filled it with something. He filled it with himself and we're going to use that word rest. It's not a void, it's not a lack. It's filled with his rest. It says that he made it holy, he blessed it. God's good will is entwined with this day, with this rest. I think uh, as good Christians, we all know Chick-fil-A, right? <laughs> so there, there's a song from, from Kanye West, which I, I really toyed with with trying to pull in here. I'm not sure if I can actually bring that out or not. I'm not sure if I have that that strength of character. But, but Chick-fil-A has been a marvel for people to look at because what do they do? They close on Sundays. And everybody says... Why? Like, that's when I crave Chick fil A. If if they opened on Sundays, do you know how much business they would have? Think about all the church goers who would be like, we should go to Chick fil A. You would do it. Like, they would have millions of more income. And I believe they would. But their model, they are highly successful as a business. And their model has always been, and I hope will always be, that they are closed on Sundays. They won't work on, they won't have their workers work on Sundays because of this idea of Sabbath. They they sewed it in. And that makes it really hard. If you've ever been to some sporting places, you know, they might have the boost and, and all the fast food, you know, where they can go. And if there's a game on a Sunday, Chick-fil-A's closed. And you look at an NFL team and it's like they play on Sundays a lot of the time. And Chick-fil-A's they're always closed. They don't change. They're not adopting that to, to make more money. They're saying what matters most, what what really cares is what God has led us into. And, and, you know, the legalism, too, I think, is sometimes saying it's going to be Sundays versus Mondays or Tuesdays. Some of us will find that our Sabbath is easier to take on another day. I know a lot of pastors who take a, a Sabbath on a Friday or a Monday. It's not to be legalistic about how we do these things. I think the Israelites also were tempted to have a three-day Sabbath, and we'll look at that in a second, too. But it's this I- idea of, of, again, we have to find this rhythm that honors what God did. So rest, though, this idea that we're entering into God's rest— implies that you're going to get back into it. But again, it elevates work. The idea of rest is that you're going to get back into it. When you're working out, you take a momentary rest. Why? Because you're going back for another set. You know, we, we, we pause for a while now because I, I have to shore up my energy. I have to get situated for what's going to come next. So if I don't have this moment, if I don't have this rest, if I try to just keep going, I'm going to fail at it. It's going to crumble down, but I, I need this break. I need this breath so I can go ahead to what's lying ahead of, in front of me. So the Sabbath frames work. One of my favorite uh, biologist theologians, again, I, I have these people, and they're, they're fun to, to follow, but there's this biologist who, um, who really has gone deep into Genesis. And what he says is looking at the fossil record, he can see the rest when God entered into it because of the, the speciization is the word that he uses of, of creatures. So all this creative work was happening and he can see this, this vast explosion of creation and then it paused. Then there wasn't the, this creation anymore. And, and you see it in the fossil record. He's, I am no biologist, but I'll take his word for this, that you can see this explosion of creation and then it stopped. And it's a wonderful idea of seeing, again, that, that this idea, this rhythm of life, this idea of creation, the things that we're about, the things that we create, the things that we do, has a, a moment, and then it has to have a retreat from it. So what I've been referring to, and we'll, we'll finally read this, this is Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all of their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. I bring this up all the time, but I, I think we have to, again, understand holiness not as cleanliness, okay? We, we hear holiness, we think pure, we, we think white, we think holy just means, you know, something good. And what holiness really means in, in, the, in the original language is this idea of being separated for something. It's this, not this idea that, that it's cleaner, though that happens, but it's separate from this. You get your new pair of shoes, right, your nice new white Nikes. You don't go out and mow the lawn in your new white Nikes day one, right? You get the old ratty Nikes out that, that you know, they're a little worn down. But you use those because what's going to happen? They're going to come in all green and, and nasty. And you get this new pair of shoes, and you're not going to ruin it right away. You kind of keep them separate. And being separate might keep them clean, but that's not really the end. The idea, you get certain shoes, and i got to keep these things for, for playing basketball. I don't know. Whatever you need your shoes for. But you need to keep them separate from the, your old shoes. So what God did here, I think that these words really do matter. Um, it's easy to skip over this and think again. We know the scripture. We know what it says here. He, he, he made a day separate. He was done with his work. But he separated a day from the others. Like he put it in a pile over here where he keeps his special things, his holy things. He said this day, this time, is different than all these other ones. I'm going to take it from from this pile of all of them. I'm going to put it into my special pile. Ava does this with rocks, and it's wonderful. She has all these rocks, and for some reason, because this one's shaped kind of like a heart, because she can see a little bit of a sparkly crystal in it, This rock gets moved from this pile of of all these others into her special pile. And then, unfortunately, with us, that special pile grows and grows and grows. (laughs) And all of a sudden, she's not maybe as discerning as maybe God or something is. You know, but he took one day and he said, this day is special. I'm going to keep this one for me. And he blessed it. Blessing is not a small detail. Blessing, it means he instilled his good will. God's power, his intention, his goodness, his blessing, he said, it's got it. I'm going to bless that day. These things that are are meant to give you real life, love, hope, joy, peace, kindness, compassion, all of those things. I'm going to put my blessing into that day. So again, this isn't a vacuum. It's not a void. It's not a lack. In God's rest, we have his blessing, his good intention. His plans that you will be well-suited for life because of what he put into this day. But we even have a reason here. Why did he do this? Because he had finished his work, so he rested. Resting is the proper response to a completed job. This one, I think we get tired by because we feel often like our work is never done. We often feel like the way that we frame these things is just never-ending. And I think that the problem with this is it's our mentality, it's our approach. Because we have this to-do list, maybe mental, maybe physical, (laughs) maybe you write these things down, but we get our to-do lists, and we just see it just goes on and on. I'm going to have to eat, I'm going to have to do laundry, I'm going to have to pay the mortgage, I'm going to have to do the bills, and these things never stop. But what we fail to see is that there's a rhythm that actually has a pause in it. I was actually really blessed on one of the, the first worship teams I was a part of. Um, the, the drummer told me, you've got to play the rests. And, and that really stayed with me. You've got to play the rests. And it, that, that's kind of a, a cryptic, weird thing of, of, of trying to understand this. But the idea is, again, that those are there for a reason. It's not just this never-ending string of noise. You have to intentionally play the rests. And what that means is often what we see is this never-ending thing. When we chop it up, we're able to set that burn down and say, that is complete, that is good. And I'm, I'm very grateful that in the tech world, at least, I don't know how other industries work, but again, I'm in tech, so you're going to hear tech stories. Um, in the tech world, we use something called sprints, and sprints are, are generally two nights, uh, two weeks, and I'm, for those of you from the UK, fortnights. We have a fortnight of, of production where we judge this, and then we're done, and that sprint is closed off, and that's it. And as, as much work as you can get done in that two-week period, that's considered a completed sprint. The idea is you don't want anything to go from one sprint to the next, and you, you lay that work down. So that sometimes means at the end of the sprint, people are really trying hard to, to get their tickets in and to close these things off because you don't want it to go into the next one. So we got to get our, our story points or what we have all calculated here. So we want to lay that work down. Now, they found that this rhythm for working produces better results because we're, we complete things. When we have these big problems in computer science, what we have to do is break them down into their components, and then I can solve this problem. You know, you you look at a a problem like the internet, it's like, it's so complex, it's so vast, like how are you going to design this thing, how are you going to make it? Well, break it into its components. You solve this problem, that thing is solved, it's complete, it's done. Now what's the next thing? You solve it, it's complete, it's done. And it takes a part in this whole thing that it's going towards. I mean, that's our lives. Our lives are are the stream of days, the stream of activities, the streams of problems that we solve, the stream of work that we do. But break that up. What do I have to do today? What do I have to do tomorrow? Where is my Sabbath going to come where I say, what matters most in all this isn't this job that I'm producing for. It's not trying to, to, to pad my bank account or put something in for the first time ever. What matters is what God's doing, what he's given me what he's called me to, what he's gifted me with. So there's this interesting biblical debate whether or not Moses was advocating for the Sabbath uh, for the Israelites when they were slaves in Egypt. If you've got your Bibles, you can flip with me to Exodus 5, and we're going to look at this. It says this in Exodus 5, 1 through 5, and I've only got a, a little bit of it here. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Edra said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are now numerous. You're stopping them from working. That word, you've made them rest from their labors, it's Sabbath. You've made them Sabbath from their labors. So here we see in slavery, God still trying to bring this idea that this isn't healthy. This isn't what's meant. This isn't what it's intended. The way that work has gone in Egypt is completely awry from his plans. And what he was saying here in this beginning wasn't even let my people go like freedom. What he's saying is bring Sabbath here bring order, bring this pause, allow them this rhythm of life where they can see who God is and what God intends. That even in these hard circumstances, even when they are not their own people, even when they are politically repressed and oppressed and persecuted and being killed, even in there, they can see that God is God and God is good when they have this rhythm and they can pause and they can say, the Lord is Lord, the Lord is Lord, and I will follow him. You might be tempted to argue the point here about the, the three days. But remember again that this is before the Ten Commandments. This is before we were given the Mosaic Law. This is All they had at this point in time, all that Moses had was the story of creation and this idea that God made the seventh day holy. And I believe, I believe that God was calling them back to remember that. Now he's going to codify that. He's going to put it into law as the Israelites were freed from the slavery, as they went through the exodus and they had this, we'll get into this in the, in the coming weeks, the command for the Sabbath. But right now, we have this invitation, this idea, this promise that this is the rhythm of life that we're meant to. You need to pause. You need to rest. You need to stop, even in these terrible circumstances you find yourselves in. And I think that the temptation I often have is to say, I I can't. I can't. I have a task mask, or I'm going to lose my train of thought. And it feels like something has enslaved me, and it's often myself, because fortunately, we don't have slavery here. But that idea is still there that I, I can't. And I think what I'm really alluding to whenever I say I can't is that I have given myself over to another master. Because that's not the way that the Lord would would drive me. That's not his rhythm. When I feel I can't, when something else is controlling my time like that, it's a good indication that it's not God. That something is mastering me and it's not God. So the quote from this, this uh article where they're talking about Sabbath in in Egypt. The author, the scholar, uh, says this, to cease from work on the seventh day means to choose freedom over slavery, to master work time for the sake of divine time. I think that's a really good line, so I want to say it again. To cease from work on the seventh day means to choose freedom over slavery, to master work time for the sake of divine time. Their master pharaoh could never be satisfied. Their labor was never enough. Make more bricks, make more, make more, make more, produce more, and often that's our jobs. Often that's the way we see this. It's never enough. You've always gotta do more. There's always more that we have to do. There's this line from C.S. Lewis. He says, pride is essentially competitive. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they're not. They're proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there'd be nothing to be proud about. It's the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition has gone, pride has gone. This is why labor is such a cruel master. This is why... Working for Pharaoh, working for ourselves, working for our bank account essentially never works because it never releases. There's always somebody who has more. There's always somebody who's got that promotion already. There's already somebody who made their first millionaire, you know, million dollars. There's already somebody who started their own company. There's always somebody that I need to compete with. And so I have to keep at it. I have to drive myself or I have to work this company to, to death or I've got to do my part. I have to make this thing happen because essentially it's this pride. It's this competitive nature. It's this idea that I have to satisfy this master. That master might be me. That master might be my company, but it's probably not God because that's not God's rhythm. That's not God's design. We read this last week, Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain, you rise up early and stay up late toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those that he loves. It's vanity. It's pride. This idea that, that, that I need to do this for myself, ultimately it comes down to the fact that we believe that we are the ones who are making our lives what they are. And that is such an American idea, and I think it's, it's a Western idea, and I think it's a capitalistic idea that, that we are our own best hope for ourselves. That's not a biblical idea. The Biblical idea tells us God's best idea. God gives life. God gives sleep to those that he loves. And we find these worldviews collide. They, they really do. I, I work. I, I have a job. And, and I'm a pastor. And I have a family. And, and there's this collision of, of ideas. I, I need to have my 401k. I need to have my retirement fund. I need to have insurance. I need to do these things. And, and I do. Where is my hope coming from? And I need this reality check, and I need my Sabbath to remind me to keep my soul healthy. My hope comes from God. My hope comes from Him. He orders my days. He orders my time. He orders my rest. Because if I'm doing it, I'll do a bad job. Leah talks about this. When I work from home, which I'm going to be doing, unfortunately, less and less now, but when I work from home, I'm a terrible time master. Six o'clock comes, and it's like, well... I, I, I'll, I'll run one more job. I'll, I'll just, I'll make another tweak and I'll run this thing one more time. And it's going to take, you know, five minutes. Oh, oh, I got some more information. I'm going to run one more time. I look down, it's now like six thirty and she's like dinner. <laughs> I'm like, okay, just, just give me one minute. And I, I, I want to just do it one more time. And then after dinner, I want to go back to work again, because it's like, it's right there. You know, like, like it, it's not a problem for me to just go to my office and just click, you know, five keys, kick this thing off again, see how it goes, and then, then check in on later. And it just, it consumes my time. And it's this idea again that myself as my own taskmaster, I'm terrible, I'm terrible. It's not God's rhythm for my life. This was on, on, on Twitter this week. I feel like my generation lost hobbies. Everything doesn't have to be a hustle, a side hustle, or a money-making enterprise. Sometimes it's just fun to do something because it brings you joy, peace, relaxation, or allows you to be creative. Let's rediscover hobbies in 2020. Now, this is not saying, again, career advice or or life advice, though I think that this is pretty good advice. But the idea, again, as relating this Sabbath to work is that our addiction to work, work as an end in itself, isn't biblical. We don't derive this joy from it because we're seeing it as this master to produce life. This is where I'm going to get life from. This is where I'm going to get substance from. This is where I'm going to get, get validity from. If, if I work enough, then I'm going to get enough, and it'll be fine. And the idea is we have lost often the joy of work because we've put our hope into that. So work can be satisfying, and I think we know that, right? Sometimes you, you finish a job, and you think, huh. I feel kind of good about myself. And, and it's this idea of pride in what we've accomplished. And you know what? That's actually biblical. God looked at all that he had done. He was pleased. He said it was good. And then what did he do? He took a break. He rested to get ready to get back into it again. Because mankind <laughs> needed to be saved because he knew what was coming. But this is in the Bible as well. Ecclesiastes 8. We don't just have to read this from Twitter. In Ecclesiastes 8, it says this. There's something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve. Now, really, really, this is not the point of this passage for us this morning, but this is so good I had to include it. There's something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve, and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This, too, I say is meaningless. So I commend the enjoyment of life, because there's nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink, be glad. That's in the Bible. Just... Pause. This is the book of wisdom. That's what it's saying. Then joy will accompany them in their toil. That's the key. All the days of the life God has given them under the sun. Joy will accompany them in their toil. The work that we do, that we all have to do, those six days that we have. Joy will accompany us in that toil. If we're not working for ourselves, if we're not working for that end in itself, trying to pad our bank accounts, we can have joy in our toil when we remember to eat, to drink, to be married, to have life as it was meant to be lived. That's the call. That's the promise. That's the wisdom God has given us. And I want to say, I think we have it a lot better in 2020 in America than the Israelites had it here under this king, right? I mean, what they knew of toil puts us to shame, I believe. You know, most of us don't know the physical labor. Most of us don't know the threats gathering around them. We don't know the, the mental and stress, you know, and emotional work they had to do from knowing that their enemies are surrounding them, really wanting to, to raid their cities and destroy them. Famine and all these things, maybe right around the corner. We are really in a, an amazing place, and we are finding less joy from our less toils. So this passage, I think, really does say something beautiful we need to forget. Enjoyment. We're focused on this hustle. We're focused on trying to, to make this life competitive. We're trying to make this life what I feel like it should be because Instagram told me it should be. You know, I, I got to make my life something that that's, you know, my, my forefathers would be proud of. I got I to make my first million by the time I'm 30. Whoops, I missed that. Okay, by the time I'm 40. Oh, I missed that one too. Okay, by the time I'm 50. And we wanted <laughs> I'm not 50 yet. <laughs> I still have a chance. <laughs> All right, Luke 5, if you've got your script, your, your Bible. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gethsemane, the people were crowding around him, listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. He sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water, let down the nets for a catch. Now here, here's a very human line in here. Simon answered, master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the net. I mean, I, I hear the fall of his voice, you know, just I, I'm a fisherman. All right. <laughs> I know my trade. I know what I'm doing, you know, but because you said it. Okay, fine. Like, uh, it's just just enough of a concession, just enough. Like, I'm doing this not because I believe. (laughs) I I don't think that anything's going to be different. I do this purely because I acknowledge that you're the rabbi. You're the master. You got something. If you're going to do an object lesson from this, sure. I don't know what you're doing, but I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to say, okay, I'll go back one more time. When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. I was being sarcastic to you before, and I I wasn't being honest, and I I know now you're, you're Lord because you blessed this work that was so fruitless, that was so devoid of life, that was filling me with anxiety because I've been out here all night and I'm stressed and I'm tired. I've got nothing to bring home to my family. And you come in with a word. My work is satisfied. In a moment, you have blessed me where I couldn't do it all night. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. So were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Notice how many of those guys became disciples of Christ. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Now, this is amazing in so many ways. Their work finally, because they, they, fi- they finally hit pay dirt. <laughs> All right? It's finally coming in, guys. Like, oh, we just need to keep fishing when Jesus tells us to. Like, my, my work can now be really profitable because I found the secret to catching lots of fish. But they saw that that's not the call here. They saw that the call here, as Jesus said to them, was to follow him, was to be a fisher for men. It, it wasn't to try to milk as much profit as you can out of these boats and these nets that they have. They left them, and I, I believe they actually left them. I mean, I, I have a hard time leaving my car without hitting the button and, and locking it. You know, They left a boat and net and fish and followed him. And I, I, that's the picture I have, you know, is that they left it there, and they said, that's it. I'm with you. Maybe they took one fish for the road. I don't know. Um, but this idea of working without God then working with God on our devices, on our plan, on our game, or on his is huge. And maybe this is career advice. I, I actually know that a lot of people here are called to a lot of things. I'm called, I do believe, to be in IT, which I don't always like, <laughs> but I believe that's the call, and it frees this church up, you know, so that, that we don't have to pay for, for myself and, and what I do here on Sundays, and it and allows us for a whole lot of things. We get to do this out of expression and out of purpose of what God's called us to do, and finances aren't the biggest of, of the concern for why I do this. I do this because God's called me to it. He's also called me to IT, and there's people there in the world that need the light, that need the gospel. And if I wasn't there, I know the rest of the people I work with, there's not much light coming in. There's purpose. And when we follow God in his work, when we're where he's positioned us, when we're obeying and fruitful, then I think that there is this blessing, there's this call, there's there's this fullness of work as it's meant to be. Not as we would have it, not as I would design it. But as it's meant to be. So we have to work. Second Thessalonians 3 10 says it bluntly, for even when we are with you, we gave you this rule the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. That's that's really blunt. <laughs> you gotta work. We have to work. That was the blessing. We mentioned this in pre-service prayer with Joseph. Joseph was known as, as blessed. Why? Because he had a coat of many colors? No, because his brothers loved him so much? No. <laughs> Because what he set his mind to, what he worked on, was blessed. He could understand these dreams and he knew how to handle this. God spoke to him and he said, prepare this work. And so he prepared this work and then God fulfilled it. God satisfied everything he set his hand to was blessed, the Bible says. Joseph's work was blessed. We have to work, but working on our own, being our own masters, being enslaved by others in this world is not what's intended. It's the sickness that leads to problems and the Sabbath Is the answer for that and so our our final slide here I think I've got here is new creation we tend to new creation this is where we are like the disciples after the boat this is where my job in IT and what I do in this pastor this is where all this kind of comes together because I, I can be in IT but I'm tending to new creation I can be here and I'm tending a new creation. I can be with my family and I'm tending new creation. And the Sabbath rest allows us to always get up and to frame our work in this understanding. And no matter what we do, no matter the diversity of work that we have, no matter if you're a student and your job is to study, no matter if you're a retiree and your job is to love and to spoil your grandkids, no matter if you are loving people in your community, no matter if you're unemployed and finding out what God is calling you into, wherever we are Tending to new creation, following him, there's divine work and purpose to be met there. The Sabbath, the Sabbath elevates this work. It prepares us for this work. It allows us to do this work as it's meant to be. At work, I I scheduled a little prayer reminder, and it would pop up and say, like, pray for your church, pray for your family. And I set it on this random timer, because I felt like somehow that was better than, like, every 15 minutes. So it was like... Always disrupt me. It always disrupt me. You, you know what I'm talking about? Like you're on a phone call, and all of a sudden, bing, pray. I was like, no. <laughs> like I got to change that. Like that's really annoying. Like this random thing popping up on my window saying, take this moment and pray. And I, I, I found my myself quieting it and killing that off and, and not doing it. And I suffered for it because I was putting the job first. And I found I can take. 15 20 30 seconds away from everything there's nothing I do that demands my undivided attention and I can't spare 30 seconds I'm not a surgeon so maybe maybe some people are gonna have a hard time with this but there's nothing I do that's so important so critical that I cannot break from it and say God I acknowledge you as my Lord God I lift up my wife before you now God, will you be with my kids now as they're taking this test? God, will you do something now? There's nothing that, that keeps me from doing that except this self-importance, except this idea that it's disruptive. And I, I've never found, as much as I argue, oh, I have this train of thought, and if I lose this train of thought, I'm not going to find my way back into it. I'm in the zone, you know, like I'm Michael Jordan taking my shots. Like it's so, like it, I'm, I'm, I got this thing, I'm, I'm really producing now. And I have found every time I pause, I find my way back. I have found that when I tend to new creation, the rest of this follows. It does. And it doesn't feel like it should. It, do, it feels like it should be disruptive. You, you, you feel like, yeah, because if I get interrupted all the time, you know, working from home, sometimes you get a lot of interruptions all the time. You feel like it, it can't possibly work. But it does. It does. So I want us to, to wrap up with this idea. Right. Who you are meant to be, the job you're called to do, it's fulfilled. It's satisfied in following him. in being as those disciples saying, Lord, your master, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. And he says, "Don't no, I'm not going to get away from you. Follow me. I'll provide a way. You think fish are hard? I, 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 I got your fish. You think computers are hard? I've, I actually truly have prayed for a computer problem and it got solved. Truly. I don't know how, because I work in tech. <laughs> not sure how, but it happens. God's above it all. God's above it all. You can't convince me otherwise. Following him first allows the rest of this to be life as he intended. This rhythm of life that we're made for, that that satisfies us, that allows us to not get through a, this, this period of time and say, whew, glad my 20s are over. That was a backbreaking time. Glad my 30s are over. You know, whatever it is. Glad I'm finally at retirement. No. Allows us to have that joy of work. As long as we toil. So I encourage you this week, truly, um, take a Sabbath. Take a Sabbath. Uh, not to slow down, not to shift gears, not to get to your honey-do list, and not, not to... Just fill your time with something else. Not, not worry about your productivity. Take a Sabbath. I don't know when you're going to do it. But take a Sabbath. And see. I think this is one of the things where I feel like. And, and see what God does with it. See what happens when you join with him in his rest. And I believe that none of us will be disappointed. None of us will lack. Because we took a Sabbath. Lord, thank you for knowing us so well and giving us a life so rich that we can trust you with the rhythm. That you care for my calendar. you care for my work. That you care for the way I spend my days. Uh, Not in a way that that you are my slave driver, but in a way that you've given me life through it. And Father, personally, me, Josh, not the pastor now, I I need this. (laughs) And I believe we all do. We all do. So, Lord, all the things that this can be, all the ways that this can be a witness, all the ways that this can be an answer to anxiety, all the ways that this can be a way of entering into rest and protection and love, we need that. And when we say we need that, Father, what we're saying is we need you. We need you. Will you come, Lord? You are the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of my life. I bless you church. In the name of him who loves you and him who created you, He who called you. Go with him. In the name of Jesus. Amen.